Good morning, Disciples Church. My name is Seth Hahn. Please remain standing for the scripture reading, which comes from Philippians 2, uh, verses 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though was in the form of a God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Seth, and you may be seated. I'm his dad, and I'm still stunned at how deep his voice is. Every time. <laughs> it's uh, terrific to see all of you. My name is Dave Hahn. I'm one of the pastors here at Disciples Church, and it is so good to have all of you joining us in worship today. We uh, thank you so much for being here with us. So for many of us, and this won't come as a surprise, September 11th is a day that we will not forget. By God's grace, there are only a handful of days like that in U.S. history, a day where we know exactly where we were and what we were doing when we first learned of it. It's still very, very fresh in my mind 21 years later. Our minds hardly know how to process events like that as they unfold before us. They're the kinds of tragedies that can cause us to lose our hope in humanity and the world in which we live. Where we are reminded anew of the brokenness and the evil that is so pervasive in our world. Some time ago, I happened upon an interview with beloved children's programming staple, Mr. Fred Rogers. And someone had asked him how he thought parents should handle explaining to kids the scary things that they see and that they hear on the news. And how he answered, I think, was both insightful and helpful. He said, when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. To this day, especially in times of disaster, I remember my mother's words and I am always comforted by realizing that there are still so many helpers, so many caring people in this world. So on 9-11, as most of us know, there were scores of people running away from ground zero, rightly so, but there were also hundreds and hundreds of men and women running towards it. People running into burning buildings to save as many as they could, not thinking of themselves, but of those who needed help, risking their lives, and in many cases, giving their lives for people that they did not know. Certainly, many of these men and women were 
police officers and firefighters and first responders, so they were paid to do it, expected to do it, but many of them were ordinary people, people like you and me. And they all had this one thing in common. They were all people who saw others in need and did whatever they could to help. These men and women are seen as heroes, and they are, but they would not describe themselves that way. None of them. So if we look hard, my friends, we will realize that Mr. Rogers was right. There is no evil so dark that the light of Christ cannot and does not pierce it. We sang about that in the first song we sung today. There are always those who will run into the mess, ready to give themselves in both big and small ways to make things better for someone else. And something deep inside each of us understands that those behaviors are special and we rightly applaud them. I mean, when is the last time that you were at an event where a member of the military was honored and people didn't stand up and give that person an ovation? Why do we do that? What's going on there? Well, in a world that disciples us to look out for number one, we are inextricably drawn to those who put the needs of others ahead of themselves, even if it means their life is lost. And even if we don't exhibit those behaviors ourselves. So in the passage that Seth read for us today from Philippians 2, we get an inside peek as to why we are drawn to those who serve and sacrifice, and it is this. We have been wired by God to recognize the divine in someone's act of service for someone else. God has wired us to recognize the divine in acts of service for someone else. Acts of service, no matter how big or small, show us the heart of God and the love of Christ. They're shadows, but we see it, whether we recognize it as such or not. Do you know that acts of service is considered one of five love languages? And the other four are gifts, physical touch, words of affirmation, and spending quality time. You see, we all show and receive love in different ways. And there are people all around you who see service as perhaps the greatest of those ways. I know that that's true because I am one of them. That's my number one. It's the way I show love, and it's the way that I receive love. Not exclusively, but it's my number one. And if we really want to know what love, service, and sacrifice truly look like, there is and there will be no greater example than the life and the death of Jesus Christ. You need to look no further my friends, we live in a world that tells us that greatness is measured by how many servants a person has, right? But in Matthew 23, Jesus tells us that the greatest are measured by how we have served others. So if you want to be great in God's eyes, be a servant. Now, people define and demonstrate service differently, especially in the church, some believe that service is really only about the big things. 
hard labor, building houses, getting dirty, and usually a, an enormous amount of time and an enormous amount of sacrifice. That's service. Others believe that serving is a program in church. And usually it's led by a pastor or a leader who has a heart for that kind of a thing. But if your acts of service in your daily lives are not part of that program, it doesn't really count. And then there are those who serve simply because of how it makes them feel and the sense of meaning that it gives their lives. Now, certainly, service can be big, and it can be measurable, and it does make us feel good, and it ought to exist within the church body. But gospel-centered service is not limited to those characteristics. Simply and practically put, we serve whenever we put the needs of others ahead of our own. Whenever. We serve whenever we put the needs of community ahead of our individual needs. That's service. So today, we are going to be looking at what the Bible has to say about serving, especially in relationship to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at what Jesus said about serving and how he personally served others, and we're going to look at what serving others looks like for those of us who gladly follow him. And my hope in all of that is that we will be freed up to believe that we can be disciples who make gospel-centered service a part of our daily lives, that we are marked by it. Now, there are six or seven words for serve or servant in the Bible, one of which is the Greek word doulos, which means slave or bondservant. Now, we talked at length about this word and this idea back in October of 2021, in our series on 1 Timothy, if you're interested in looking into it. So I'm not going to go too deep into it again today because we've already talked about it. Other than to remind you that slave, doulos, does not mean what comes to mind for many of us when we hear it. At a high level, it is important to remember that slaves in Jesus' day were not unwilling. Slaves in Jesus' day were not associated with any particular racial, ethnic, or socioeconomic group. And slaves oftentimes were more educated and successful than their owners, having slaves of their own. So breathe easy as you hear this word today in this context. The word doulos is used over 120 times in the Bible, making it the most common word that Scripture uses when speaking of serving or a servant. And at the beginning of the letter to the Philippians, this very letter, Paul addresses himself and Timothy as servants of Christ Jesus. In context, as it's used here, doulos means to be devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests, which is almost exactly how verse 4 of today's passage reads. Let's look again at Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. It reads, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. There's that definition. 
Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. My friends, there is much to be learned about serving in Philippians 2. In this passage alone, we learn that a servant counts others more significant than his or her self. A servant gives up his or her own rights for the sake of others. He or she makes less of themselves so that others can be more. A servant serves and obeys regardless of the cost to his or herself. A servant looks to Christ as the ultimate example of servanthood. Friends, a doulos, a bondservant, a slave, is who Christ became for you and for me. He was a servant to his Father's will for our good and for his Father's glory. And in response, we are to be bondservants unto him. Meaning, we submit our own will and our own interests to God in worship. And that leads us to our second definition of serve, latruo, another Greek word. And this word means worship. So our response to Christ having served us, first and foremost, is worship, and not just on Sundays. We call our Sunday gatherings worship services, and that is really funny and really interesting because those two words essentially mean the same thing. Welcome to our worship worship. Romans chapter 12 tells us that Latruo, in view of God's mercy on us, is our appropriate response. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your true and proper worship. This is your true and proper Latruo. We see Latruo modeled in Jesus' life. When Jesus was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he responded, Worship the Lord your God and serve Latruo, him only. Additionally, we find several Hebrew words in the Old Testament translated as serve, but meaning worship. In the Ten Commandments, for example, we read, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Lotruo them, even though they didn't use the Greek word. That's what it means. Now, there are countless more examples of serve being used in this way, but here is the point. Christ has served us unto the point of death, therefore, we are to serve, worship, Latruo him. And in worship of God, in worship of God, 
serve one another. That's how that works. But what does it look like for we who are worshipers, bond servants, and disciples of Christ to serve others? That is a great question. And we find our answer in the third word used for serve, and it is the Greek word diakoneo. And diakoneo means to provide the things necessary to sustain life. To provide the things necessary to sustain life. And we see this definition used by Jesus in Matthew 20, verses 26 through 28, which reads, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to diakoneo, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Dulos, Latruo, diakoneo. Three words, all meaning serve or servant. And all of them bound together for those who are called disciples of Jesus Christ. And in Matthew 25, we get a beautiful picture of how all three of these Greek word definitions of serve fit together. So listen as I read. Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Did you see it? Did you see all three definitions wrapped up in that? Christ served us. He do lost us, becoming a slave unto his Father, unto the point of death that we would be righteous. Then we, the righteous, in response, serve diakoneo others. And finally, through our service to others, Christ is served. He is worshipped. He is latruod. Meaning, in our service to others, because Christ first served us unto death, Christ is worshipped. Friends, gospel-centered service might mean giving our very lives. 
but it likely will not be that extreme. Usually, and often, it will mean something akin to a cold drink, a bite of food, a kind word, extra clothing, or a friendly visit. That's what we see in Matthew 25, right? So as we leave this place and as we head into a new week, let's ask ourselves, let's always be asking ourselves, who can I be praying for? And then actually pray for and with them. Who can I open the door for? Who am I going to let pull in front of me when traffic gets all jammed up? We've all been there. Who in my house could use a night off from cooking dinner or doing the dishes or folding laundry? Which neighbor of mine needs their garbage cans brought up? Or their driveway shoveled because they foolishly believe that winter is over and they already have put their snowblower away? My friends, we're to be worshipers. We're to be bond servants. We're to help provide the things necessary to sustain life. Disciples of Jesus Christ, which is what we are if we know him, are to be gospel-centered servants, all of us. Now, if you're like me, you're asking two questions right about now. How in the world are we supposed to do those things? And how are we supposed to be those kinds of people? Well, fairly often, Jonathan and I have laid before you two words and ideas that we love, and it's the ideas and the words are imperative and indicative. So whenever a command is given in Scripture, like serve one another, that's an imperative. And the ability to do that thing is rooted in what Christ has first done for us. That's the indicative. And imperatives, look it up yourselves, are always, always, always surrounded by a gospel indicative. We are never called to do anything without first being reminded that Christ has done it for, in, and through us. Imperatives are always surrounded by gospel indicatives. Christ has done such and such in and for us so that you can do such and such for him and others. Christ initiates always, and we respond always. And that means that we are not simply imitators of Christ, left to our own ability and desire to imitate him. Rather, my friends, we are vessels through which Christ's love and life flows. Remember that according to Galatians 2.20, as Christians, it is no longer we who live, but it is Christ who lives in us. So what do we do? How do we accomplish these things? How do we serve one another? By abiding in him. Abiding in him. And to abide means that we know Christ, that we spend time with Christ, and that we rest in Christ. Allowing him to do in and through us what we cannot do on our own. 
I can't do it, Lord. I know, he says, but I can and I will. And he will even provide us the desire along with the ability to serve him and to serve one another if we abide in him. My friends, abiding in Christ is the overarching posture of the believer in all areas of our life in Christ, including our desire and ability to serve. In John 15, Jesus tells us that if we don't abide or depend upon him, we can do nothing. That is an absolute word. You can do nothing apart from me. And yet, many of us choose to operate in the energy of our own flesh according to our own ability. We hear a command and we immediately begin to think about what we need to do, leading us into fear of inadequacy and failure, or conversely, if we're really prideful, leading us into haughtiness and pride. I got it. I can do that. I don't need you God. Disciples Church, what would it look like to begin trusting much, much less in our own ability to do what we have been commanded and instead to start trusting Jesus to do those things in and through us? See, the commands of Christ, the commands that Christ gives are never meant to be burdens or weights to bear. So if you see them that way, you see them wrongly. We don't need to feel inadequate or ill-prepared. And conversely, we don't get to boast in all the stuff that we believe that we have accomplished. Why? Because it is not us. It is Christ in us. And Christ, my friends, Christ doesn't call us to something that he doesn't also intend to accomplish in and through us. If he calls you to it, he's going to accomplish it in you. You see, striving apart from Christ's work in and through us leads us to one of two places. Believing that God is disappointed in you and loves you less than others who really do things well. And then you curl up, feeling defeated, going, I'm not doing that again. Or you burn out trying to earn what he has freely given in full, doing it in the energy of your own flesh. But the love of God and the salvation from God is not dependent upon our doing or getting things right. God is not dependent upon you and me. It is we who are dependent upon him. Secondarily, our striving can lead us to believe that God is impressed with us and that he owes us big time for everything that we have done for him. Leading us to judge others, to criticize others who aren't killing it the way that we are, and ultimately thinking way too much of ourselves. But the way of a servant, my friends, is the way of humility, thinking more of others and of ourselves less. 
Christ's love came to us, my friends, while we were his enemies, and his life came into us while we were spiritually dead. That means that God does not need us, but he wants us. Have you ever thought of that? That God does not need you or me, but he wants us? If the kingdom of God and what it was that he is looking to accomplish were dependent upon you and me, he would be in trouble. But he is not in need of us. But amazingly and graciously, he wants us. It also means that we are not his employees and that he is not our boss. He is our father. He is our God. He is our Savior and our Lord and King. And he is the very source of our life and our breath. Paul, in speaking to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17, said, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men. Listen, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. That's my favorite. Life and breath and everything. (laughs) Martin Luther said it more simply, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. Gospel-centered servants, my friends, are motivated by the gospel. Not duty, not guilt, not shame, not pride, not selfish ambition, not a tendency to want to do. Gospel-centered servants serve as an act of worship unto God and out of a spirit-driven compulsion to serve others. Gospel-centered servants make simple daily decisions to be worshipers of Christ, looking to the ordinary everyday needs of others, and they are plenty. They are concerned with the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of those around him, and they see people as God sees them, made in his image. Gospel-centered servants love people as God loves them. They use the gifts that God has uniquely given to them, allowing their service to flow from those gifts. Gospel-centered servants run into the messes before them. What messes, big or small, are before you today? Not your own, but the messes of others. Because you've been put there for a reason. Gospel-centered servants find opportunities to serve in both the sacred and the secular spaces. There are people to love and needs to be met wherever we find ourselves. And finally, gospel-centered servants recognize that the light which shines within them, in and through their service, is the light of Christ, not their own. Gospel-centered servants are called to a life of gospel-centered service. And like all other callings of and commands to being a disciple, those are the imperatives, gospel-centered service begins and ends with God, the indicative. Specifically, Christ's life, death, and resurrection, and his eternal spirit in you. And by the spirit of God, Christ's life flows to us, 
and then through us and unto others. Our spouses, our children, our friends, our roommates, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates. The people that we go to church with, the people who wait on us in restaurants, our baristas, and the jerks in front of us in line. Then, as God leads, we go to our communities and into our nation and into our world. And like all other good and godly things, gospel-centered service finds its perfect end with God getting glory for having done unto us and through us what we never could. 1 Peter chapter 4 says it this way, Whoever serves, let it be as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So let's try and make all of this really practical so that by faith and with his strength, as we read in 1 Peter, we can put feet to the truths of God that we have explored today. See, the rule of thumb at most churches is that 20% of the people do 80% of the giving and 80% of the serving. Who's heard that before? Yeah. And my friends, that should not be so. That should not be so. That should not be a statistic we're familiar with. See, our prayer for Disciples Church is that everyone, everyone who calls this place their church would be giving something, and that everyone who calls this place their church would be serving somewhere, and then growing in the grace of both. You've heard us ask a handful of times for people to step up and serve here at Disciples Church if you've been around. And some of you have, and we are incredibly grateful for that. But Disciples Church, just to give you an inside peek, is a church that needs its attendees and its members to offer their gifts and their time and their service for the good of the body because we don't have a big staff to accomplish those things. We don't really have a staff. Our offerings and our programs are and always will, always will, be born of those who first volunteer to do what needs doing. And to the degree that no one is willing to meet a certain need, that offering or program will likely not exist. We're not going to hire to get it done. We're going to hire the people that are already doing it. Today in particular is a great object lesson of that idea by no design of our own. You may or may not know that we are unable to provide child care for our youngest kids today because no one was able or willing to be able to do so. Yes, our regular helpers in that area are on vacation or away for various reasons, but that will always and should always be the case. It is not our desire or our intent that any one person or group of people are overworked or unable to take time away as they need. That is not our intent or desire. And to be honest, if everyone who calls Disciples Church home were willing to fill in the spaces where there was need, we would never have an issue with providing the most basic of services to the rest of the body because we're a pretty simple church with very few programs and very little need. And for what it's worth, as I was thinking about it, 
Here's why I think that we have had to occasionally pull back or find a plan B for a certain programming and offerings at Disciples Church. First, we believe that our lives and our time are our own. Forgetting our crucified Savior who gave up his glory and all that he was due for our sake and that by his blood, our lives are his, not our own. Second, we believe that the church is meant to serve us, not for us to serve it. We are consumers rather than worshipers, and we'll leave churches that don't cater to us or provide programs of our liking rather than be those who help get ministries off the ground and then keep them running. And finally, we believe that when or where we serve has to line up with what fulfills us or matches our gifting. That's not my thing. I don't really like that. That seems hard. Can I remind you, my friends, that mere hours before Jesus hung on a cross to serve us unto death, he washed his disciples' feet. He washed his disciples' feet. He wrapped a towel around his waist, got down on his hands and knees, and washed his disciples' dirty, animal, dung-encrusted feet. And he is God. Do you think that Jesus did so because he was particularly great at washing feet or that he really loved doing that kind of work? Of course not. Of course not. It was a holy gesture and a grand example of how you and I are to serve one another. John 13 reads, Do you understand what I have done to you after having washed their feet? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. My friends, God is not primarily after our gifts or our skill sets as he calls us to serve him and as he calls us to serve one another. After all, it is God who gives us those things Whatever gifts, skill sets, and interests you have, God has given them to you. So he's not after what belongs to him. Rather, what God is after, first and foremost, is our yes. Our desire to say yes. That's what he's after. So are you willing to courageously say, here I am? to God's call of service on your life, regardless of the task, regardless of whether or not that act of service is easy or fulfilling for you. I mean, certainly we want you to be mindful of and obedient to the people and the places that you can serve in your daily lives, but there are also needs and opportunities right within this very church. And we are asking each of you to prayerfully consider saying yes to those as well. So there are small interested in serving slips on the back table that look like this. It says interested in serving right there. 
and they're back there on that table. And either today or in the week to come, we are asking you to consider filling one out or taking one home and praying about how you might fill it out. Now, of course, there are specific needs that you can mark having an interest in, but I'm asking you today to be really, really bold. Surprise, surprise, right? I'm asking you to do something bold. And I'm asking you to fill out the box that says, wherever help is needed. It's the last one. I'm, I'm here. Whatever you need, just ask. I'm asking you to be bold and fill that out and then see how God blesses you and others in it. I know he will. I know he will. My friends, sometimes it is through service opportunities that we didn't think we would like or didn't think that we were qualified for that we discover our gifting. So if you're finding yourself in a place today going, I'm not even really sure how I can serve or how I can bless or what my gifts are, step into an opportunity. Find a significant way to bless someone else. And if everyone who knows and loves Jesus said yes, if everyone who knows and loves Jesus said yes to serving him and others, we would never see gaps and we would never see anyone burn out and we would all experience the joy of being a body that serves its members and its head who is Christ. So Disciples Church, may we serve Christ and may we serve others just as he served us even to the point of death. And may we do so according to the strength that he gives wherever we find ourselves for his sake and for his glory. Let's pray. Father God, would you silence all the voices within our minds in this moment but your own? Would you help us to seek and be able to follow your will for us? God, everything about the Christian life begins and ends with you. All you have made us to be and all you are calling us to is an outworking of what Christ has done for us and will do through us if we abide in him. Help us, God, to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto you and to others. Would you give us eyes to see people as you see them and let us be moved with compassion and grace for their physical, emotional, and spiritual needs, asking you to do in and through us unto them what you know is best for them. Let us engage in both simple and extraordinary acts of service in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, schools, and churches as an act of worship unto you. Our desire, Lord, is that you would receive glory in and through all that we do and say. You alone are worthy of it. Jesus, we thank you for washing off our filth and for serving us unto death. May we live the lives that you have given to us both in, with, and for you in glad response. In Christ's name. Amen.